this could be our cold open, but then we could just have solid gold like 15 minutes from now when we just really riff on a tangent and then that could be our cold open. Yeah. At some mm. point, at some point I'm just going to be like, you're listening to the Rodeo Labs podcast. This, this is the Rodeo Labs podcast. The Rodeo Labs podcast. Unbound. Round table. The round table. The round table. The unbound it, round table. It, with but, a rectangle table. But I, I, I ride rotor rings. It's the oval table. <laughs> All right. So do I. Mine's the absolute black table. Reunion of sorts. Uh, we have our OG host, Nick. Uh, our current maybe host-ish. Our host definitely of recent days, Logan. What's up? I'm still wearing my helmet because I'm expecting this to get rowdy. Yeah. Just so everyone knows. Painting a picture. I'm here in a cutoff uh, tank top crop top. I have my helmet on. I got my bike shorts on. I'm ready to go. Anything that happens, I'll be prepared. Yeah. We're a week, we're a week away from the day before Unbound. And I'm just ready to go again if we need to. Wow. Just to, just to get more stories. I don't think we need more stories. I think we actually we had a great <laughs> harvest of stories. I will brag that everyone at this round oval table rode here. We did. No cars were involved in the creation of this podcast. And it's a world bicycle day tomorrow. Cool. We're on brand. That's good stuff. Anyways, we have one more person. Our final guest, Brian Durstein, a man who once died on Cocopelli uh, <laughs> and came back to us. Uh, first time listener, long time caller. <laughs> first time speaker. <laughs> have you ever been on the pod? No. Is this your first podcast ever? It's not. I have been on two podcasts. You right. don't like host a Dungeons and Dragons podcast on the side or like Super Mario Bros. You know that. I feel like you could be a gamer and just have a Twitch and no one would know about it. But here's the thing: secretly, I don't play video games, but I yeah. do love them. Brian could have an entire podcast dedicated to uh, bike parts that he bought from Alibaba and if they're any good or not. I think we should do that there, one. I keep telling you, there are five Brits that already do that. There's oh. no reason for us to enter okay. that market. All right, market. sounds like a saturated market. All right, well, and speaking of saturated, everyone's already sort of told their Unbound stories uh, in the last week on every different media available, but we don't care. Uh, because we had our own experience and we like to talk about our stuff. So we don't have a big structure for today uh, and a big plan and a big interview and a set of questions. This is a round table where we all get to tell stories about the race, maybe some gear, maybe the state of gravel, uh, where has the spirit gone, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we don't know what's going to happen, and uh, that's all right. So let's dive in. What was, okay, everybody was on some different bikes this year. You got your bike a couple days, Logan, a couple yes. days before the race. With that in mind, what were everyone's goals going into this event? We all rode it. Uh, do you, when you say goals, are we talking about like literally the morning of, or are we talking like in general, like coming into the week? I would say two months ago when you thought about this race and the work that you needed to do to get ready for it. What did you see in your head as the best possible outcome? The best possible outcome was 
winning single speed category and going sub 12 um, with the with the top goal of that of those two being the 12 hour. Fair. On that note, the person who did that isn't with us today. Uh, we will get Lucas on yeah, a follow stay up. Tuned. Um, probably combine him with the conversation with Luke. Um, he's in he's in Europe. Yeah, so he's in Mallorca. To, you know, have yeah. to be accommodating for him. Right. Um, he's already back at altitude training. Yeah, right, right, he's ready right. To go. Yeah. Um, all right. Brian wanted to win. That's which... good. You, you... No, no, no. Brian wanted to break twelve hours. A win, which would have a, been a win. Which would have been a win. <laughs> right. Like, but I, I told Lucas before the race, I was like, I don't care if I win. I want to break 12. Because I think that's just so much more la- long-lasting. Because time records will come and go. But to break 12 is just like, that is just, on a single speed, that is such a daunting record. If Addison Zawada hasn't done it, it's hard. It's really interesting that we look at time so much with Unbound because it changes all the I know. time. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's yeah. like, oh yes, we're gonna we're gonna really consider time on this course that's gonna alternate between different directions, and given the weather, could be drastically different. It, it like you, for instance, you look at Western States, which is a hundred mile running race. Time is very very important for everything that goes along with that race, but it's the same course every year. And even just changes in temperature can dramatically shift the time. So it's like even still kind of an imperfect yeah, or measurement. Lead bill. Lead but it's like, yeah, same, same, same thing. thing. It's a time race. But here it's like we, we have these time goals, but it's like, well, who knows really yeah. what that translates if to. If they're going to drop a hike into the middle of the race. Exactly. But there's you... not everyone can go off a of place, as we've also seen. So Yeah. Nick? My goals? Come uh, out of retirement? Yeah. Uh, I had a pretty non-existent year last year um but then found the spark and then uh had some success early in the season so then i thought maybe for unbound to cap it off another podium uh so i've done three races i've podium three races in 2023 and i did the thing did your did your goals grow as your data backed you up that it might be possible to do technically greater things uh i think i only started to dream after mid-south so how much of a slave to the numbers are you <laughs> not none, <laughs> that none was, I whatsoever think, that was the, the question brian was asking when uh the sensations were good when the you the legs when, were good. when you see the, the lengths that good. other people will go to do well and i know i want to do well but then i reach my threshold of like meh i'm not gonna get like take that next level uh yeah i look at the numbers but I'm not going to train to numbers. I, I, oh man, goals. I did not have any goals. I was actually, I started with goals. Like I wanted to get back in the top 20 about two, three months ago, but life happened and I did not have the training time I wanted to. And I moved and I went to the UK and I started working and I was working all the way up until 4 p.m., the day before the race, because now I'm in cycling media, whatever that means. Yeah, you um, have the most life changes of anyone in this room. A lot uh, of maybe changes. anyone at the race, period. Yeah. And a new bike five days before, which is what everyone tells you not to do before a 200-mile race. But that was actually perfect. Um, it's the same bike setup, so it, it wasn't. I wasn't too scared. But um, the real scary thing was just the lack of any ride over five hours for... 
like two months before the race, which for me, it was huge. So I didn't have any expectations, but I kind of had some because they put me in the pro corral still. So I was like up there at the 550 start with all the guys who were really amped up. So I, I just sort of naturally got amped up, um, but also was trying to be like, okay, it's okay if you go slow. It's okay if things don't fall your way. You have like, I just knew I had a governor of, of, effort that i didn't have before so. no we we had a governor of effort yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like i had gears and i i was still trying to approach it similar to the way you guys were um and i you almost got me to do the single speed too. i really wish we would have because no. i feel like in a slightly parallel universe we could have swept the entire podium single speed i, I it wouldn't have happened but it almost could have happened especially if we had five people on single speeds because we had Three out of five, arguably four out of five, because we all just tied and someone had to not be on the the step. But like, we we were very and then until you know, and well, that's later. We'll tell that story later. Anyway, it would have been just a little bit funny, hilarious, and kind of rad. But I get why you didn't. Yeah, I just it was it was one of those where it's like because well, you didn't have any courage. That's why you didn't do I it. I didn't have any courage in that moment to to make that decision. And I that was okay. I would like to state for the record that I did not personally tell Logan. No, to Brian not. actually told me not to. Oh wait, I did. Yeah, Never he mind. told me not I thought to. I was, it was kind of a Stephen was like do it, and then yeah. Brian was like no. Yeah, Brian's been actively recruiting everyone to not do single speed for an entire year, uh, and just like please only could we not do this. Why? Please. Why? I actually don't know. Because I didn't want to do single right, speed. Right, yeah, right, right. Your, your experience with single speed has been decidedly Please don't mixed. make me do this. <laughs> uh, well, we can ask later All right, how, last how you time. feel about that decision. Goals, uh, My goals were a little bit different. I agree with Nick um, after going to Mid-South. because Nick and I were second and third in the single speed in Mid-South, which was a huge surprise. Um, and, and then you're like, huh. I, I could maybe be good at this for whatever reason. For me, it's because I can't go fast enough to destroy myself on a single speed. It makes me a better bike rider. Um, so then, then I thought maybe I could be on the podium at Unbound also. So that was my personal goal. But I also had to get out of jail free card because with all of you guys in the race uh, and, you know, all, just all the different rodeo people that were out there. But, you know, and Lucas, Luke, I thought, if anyone is successful or the majority of us are successful, I just get to have dad, dad vibes, you know, dad feels of like, look at, look at all these people on rodeo bikes and, you know, and just get misty. So I could have a good day, even if I had a bad day, um, because everyone else had a good day. Yeah. Um, and, and anything is going to be better than the, the swirl of emotions you were in, in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is the, which yeah. Is like which the last was, time yeah. you had a good crew. Cause last year was just me and you and, you saw me with my seat post snapped off 15 miles an hour. No, so it was a little no, different. Every year has stories. Every year uh, has stories. We, should we crack into yeah, this yeah, year's yeah. stories? All right. So, um, Logan, you took off with the elites. I did. Give us a little bit of insight into maybe like the first 20, 30 miles. Yeah. So I got, as, a, as an elite. I got amped up just because, you know, race vibes. Um, woke up, was like, okay, I feel okay. I, I've done this before. Um and we started and it was, it was, it was chill for the front. Um, definitely less chaotic than it was last year, but I knew the mud was coming at mile 10. So I was just surfing it and trying to stay positive. And then we hit it and it was the most chaotic experience I've ever been in a bike race. Um, just people just started going every direction, but I was just like riding down the middle of the road in the mud. And I was like, well, 
So you didn't even hit the grass. No, no, no. I was right in the middle of the mud the whole time. And all of a sudden, I was in 10th place. And just like everyone had parted ways. I'd I'd entered the mud probably mid-pack, so 50th. And it was just like parting the ways, and I was just cruising through um, for about half a mile, honestly. Um, And then I hit a a bog and had to clean a little bit. But it was just sort of – it was 0% fitness, all about what the tech choice was, about riding smooth, about like the marginal cyclocross skills I had. Vibes and TD4. And it was just sort of, I was just like looking around, like just seeing everybody who was fantastic bike racers who were so fit, just sort of like panic and try to figure out how to keep their bike clean, try to figure out how to keep their bike moving again. What did that look like? Like, did you, you know, you were moving, so maybe you can't tell, but I remember the first the first year I hit the mud, but the second year was even more interesting that I hit the mud, which would have been 2016 because we were coming off the first mud year. Second mud year, we hit the puddle coming out of town. People start ripping derailers off within two miles. And people people were throwing bikes into the forest in just primal rage screaming that year. What did it look like for pros to hit the mud? I don't think anyone snapped derailers off. I didn't see any derailers gone. It was, I mean, I know some people did, um, but it was much more about clearance issues it was much more about like so were people calm they were they were trying to be calm yeah they were trying to be calm everyone had their paint sticks i think a lot of people had been to mid-south in 2020 okay um and they're pros and they're so they like i think there was that sense of like okay and everyone was wearing for the most part mountain bike pedals with mountain bike shoes for the most part there was a couple people who weren't larry warbass (laughs) yeah like in a video it's like this is basically my road bike with gravel tires oh my yes godspeed my my beautiful son yeah he uh yeah he had a little bit of a struggle he came back for 17th though shout out larry for keep trying like that was a big effort to come back from being like 90th through the mud. Like I mean, half I an agree. Hour Big me. props when you get the that lesson, kind of setback and you, yeah. you keep your head in it. The lesson I take from Larry Warbass's Unbound is that if you ride the Giro, anything is possible. Yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe we should all do that. Yeah, no. I mean, some people really have held their cool. Like I saw Russell Finstenwald. Um, his bike got real messy at one point and he stopped at a puddle and was like, pushing water on his bike and trying to be intentional cleaning it off. And he came by really quick um, about like half a mile later. And we were in the top 10 at that point. Yeah. So he really had a clear sense of what he wanted to do. Um, the cyclocross riders were pretty good. Tobin Ortenblatt, I think that's how you say his last name. It was really smooth. I could see him and I was sort of like looking at, like looking at him a hundred meters up the road and like which side of the, which side of the grass was he on? How was he taking it? Um, and it was, it was also interesting how a couple, there was a mix of bikes. Like some of them were like the big sort of big clearance bikes, um, like the Envy Mog, which has pretty big clearance. Obviously the rodeo has the biggest clearance, the loft. There was one loft guy who was up there. Um, but then there was also like a team. Obviously there was also a Santa Cruz up there. Yeah. No, that may or may not exist. Yeah. The, there was one team of money guy who had a factor and everyone else who had factors seemed to be struggling, but he was riding super smooth. And then Lachlan Morton was with this monster truck, 700, 2.1. And he was like shoving his hand down, trying to clear it out. Um, Peter Stenna did a front flip. Like that goes on. Like he just went <laughs> way over the bars. Did he stick he, the landing? No, because uh, everyone was riding on the left side and he like went to the right side because I guess he, he wanted to He probably hit a rock. And he, no, he, he went into a culvert, like, yep. like one of those like drainage oh, ditches right yeah. before they, the turn that he couldn't see. They come yep. out of nowhere. Yeah, and just 
and I don't blame him. Like he was trying to find the clear line. It just is like luck of the draw. Like you just yeah. you can't. There was a it. lot of luck in the mud. There was a Whether lot of luck or not in the mud. You, you your derailleur ripped off, or just so many things just happened to just came down to dumb luck. Obviously, there were some gear things, but uh, people who did everything right had bad days for yeah. sure. I think for me, it was it was a combination of just having a bike that had a lot of clearance, making tire choices that was built around mud. Yeah, yeah I was you sized down the forty slicks. Because it was like, okay, 40 with the clearance for a 2.2, a lot of room, to the slick, just not going to gather as much mud. Yeah. So um, it, it, I ended up out of the mud in, in ninth place. Which is awesome. Yeah, you were with Lachlan, you said. Yeah, I was following Lachlan, and then I was like, okay, bye, Lachlan. <laughs> back to yeah, yeah, just so, super fun. So We make some of the finest bikes for hiking in the mud, and really anyone in the industry. Yeah. We have some of the best hiking yeah. accessories. What grade would you get, like... Do you have positive feelings about the new staggered start? I do. I really do. Um, I'm very sympathetic to the people who put a lot of it, a lot of effort into it. I, I understand the the benefits that can come from someone doing well at Unbound. And of all of this talk about like, okay, we want the race to be hard. We want people to to challenge themselves. Like, if you ripped your derailleur off and you're a pro, I'm like, I'm sorry, but there's ways to avoid that. What you can't avoid is someone being too far up who doesn't have the handling skills and then dumping it on the first gravel turn. And that's what happens. And that's what I think people were very concerned of. And there just wasn't that. Like there was a lot more smoothness in the front and it just was more representative of the strength of everybody in terms of like the pack riding skills. Um, So I, I think it worked out for the pro men, I talked to a lot of the women and they really enjoyed it. And I've heard that the start of the mass start, I guess was, was smoother. Um, I think they need to make it a little more clear about what an elite rider is maybe make that feel just a little bigger, but you mean like how an elite rider won the non elite. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like there was just some people who came up from behind and I was like, yeah, you're really like Jeremiah Bishop. I'm like, why is he back there? Yeah. And it was just because he signed a blade or something. So I don't know. I mean, you have to draw a line. You have to draw right? a line somewhere. And, and like Jeremiah Bishop is probably like the worst example yeah. of that. Like, yeah. but like ultimately, like he has not been a active professional for a decade now. But he did get seventh two years ago. It's true. So, like, but the professionality of the sport is yeah. increasing so quickly. I mean, Stephen and I, you know, five years ago were LOLing at mammals just exploding trying to go off the front and now we never see the front ever yeah Yeah. i don't even want to see the front that's the thing though it's like there is i think there is it there's a situation where it's like okay everyone kind of wins um although i will say that's a well-reasoned argument but i disagree i just think unbound is what it is and part of the beast is that you deal with everything that the race is and was as it originated, but I'm not mad. I just have a different opinion. No, and I think that the opinion's valid. Like, I just think I'm sympathetic to both. And I will say, of all the crashes I've seen in Unbound, almost all of them were pros. Um, like, I like I just remember the 2021, we had a pro gravel team in there, and there was, I think, a Trek rider um, yeah. in the pros who went down, like, I don't know, 50, 60 miles in and just, like, took 14 other pros out. Yeah. Just some huge, just, and I went by that wreck scene and people are just, they look like they had just come out of a war zone, just broken things and shredded kits and sad faces. And, and like, 
they were that was only pros. Uh, there was no amateurs left at that point. And the the risky things that pros do to stay at the front of a race because they have to. If you don't make the cut, you don't make the line. You're out of the group, and you'll never see it again. I think pros take more risks than amateurs, except for maybe a couple yellow mammals that you know. Yeah, I, I just think for honestly, it was the people who benefit the most are the women. And I, this is where I'm like the, the news cycle gets crazy where it's like, the, oh, that's not enough for, for some of the elite women and you want to have your own start day and you want to have 25 miles, less miles. It's like, where, what, what's the limit here? Like, Do you think that they benefit the most just because there's not enough men to get in their way or because there's not any amateur men to get in their way? I think it's that they get to understand who they're competing against and that first selection will be between them. Yeah, you you covered that in your podcast series. uh, And I thought that was a really, really excellent point that just being able to know who you're racing against for the first time, you know, they were talking about doing it at Gravel Gravel Worlds. I was like, that that would make me so frustrated just not knowing where they are. Do they have help? And now it's just, you just look, it's your peers. Like you might not, you might think you're in second, but you could actually be in fourth because two women just tucked in and we're in a big pack that you couldn't see. Um, and so for them, I think it, it changes the competitive level. But All right, we're going wide. We're definitely going we wide. Pull we it should back in. It we got to pull it back in. Too. I want to hear about how your guys' initial miles were, you know, how you felt going into, let's just call it, are we, we're amateurs or are we just, Open. We are, we what, are, what are we called? We are amateurs. We're just the masses? Yeah, the we masses. We are the masses. The, ga- the, right. gal- the, the gallivanting masses. I'm curious because the mud conditions obviously changed throughout. And I think, like, I can't even imagine what those mud conditions were for the 100 riders. Hmm. But for you guys, did you, what, what was the state of the mud? Well, I, I don't want to start at the mud. I want to, I'm interested in hearing what Nick thought about the opening miles. And then we get to the mud, and then I would actually like to talk about something that you said about how not having to worry about amateurs getting in your way, because I specifically had that happen. You had an amateur get in your way? I absolutely did. <laughs> you, you, you would not know. How dare they? You would not know. Because was it me? No, no. It was, <laughs> the door almost shut on me, and I knew yeah. it shut on Brian. Yep. So yeah. oh, no. we'll, we'll press pause on that. Right, okay. I, I want to hear... Because Stephen and I have obviously participated in a, t- a bunch of unbounds. This is Nick's second time, and it's drastically different to his first one. So I'm interested in hearing how his first 10 miles went. Yeah. Um, I would actually say not that a, the single speeders need to start separately, but that was, you know, just going back on the, fa- the previous conversation, when you look around, you're like, who am I competing against? I know, Stephen, that you and I never saw first place at Mid-South. Um, and similarly, I knew Lucas was going up the road, but I didn't know where any other, like who was the competition. So again, I can relate to that point of having the separate women start, um, the opening miles of unbound. I, I don't know what they tried to do. I know they said, you know, here's your start time. And then I think we even had like a delay of 60 seconds to clear a train. And I think some chaos happened because as the open started, the gates started going down as we were going Did through. Did they? What? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. No, no, no. It was literally, I, I'm surprised you didn't hear it. When we crossed the tracks. The gates started going down. The gates down. started no. going off. And split the open field. You didn't hear me 
dropping f-bombs and laughing that no. was terrible oh, it, the worst the of me time. came That's out not remarkable but the worst you. of me came out it was such <laughs> oh. petty la- it was petty laughter oh. i that's terrible I, it yeah. is terrible because i would be so pissed right. if i were caught behind the train right but it happened and i knew i was free because i was on the tracks and i just started just so, LOLing. Didn't know that so until any, now. Anyone who started, you know, at, at like a later, you know, like they have those yeah, the, yeah. The hours where you're going to start. We were like, stupidly in the 12-hour group. Well, I guess maybe not that stupidly. No, but anyway, yeah, anyone who was honest and like yeah. put themselves in the 13-hour group. Everyone. It's like on it's like on dating apps, how you say you're taller. It's, it's fine. Okay. Everyone, <laughs> right. there's an yeah. hour. Everyone is giving themselves an, an hour. An hour, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I also personally had to really do something against my nature which was not ride hard um mm-hmm. and that was different than mid-south and uh desert gravel where i just went out as hard as i could uh and it felt really weird and and it was interesting to see brian riding and that was that was the goal i said to myself like this unbound no matter what i want to take the start easy i'm gonna follow brian's wheel uh and it was interesting to see brian just kind of calling out speed variables of like too fast slow down speed up oh you were calling move it? left move right wow uh, look at you guys it would have been really awesome to be with you <laughs> if we, i mean it, Funny it, system. listen like it it would have been super it, you know the mud obviously threw everything out the window oh 100 but like obviously the game plan was 200 mile lead out it, well, it honestly was we had dave hornick we had but we had jeff and more importantly, we had Corey, uh, Corey Smith. Corey and Smith is a big man. He's a huge man. He's I call technically two humans. I call him Shade Tree. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an insult, um, but like we were all together right up until we hit the mud. Yeah. Like literally, group compacto. Like we let people, we let groups go. Yeah. And for me, it was awkward. I saw Lucas go and like, there was this urge of like, oh my gosh, this is what I do. I just go, I'm going to go. And then I was like, no, I, I told myself here it's is in my nature. Lean in. Yeah. I, admittedly, <laughs> admittedly at that moment, I was on Lucas's wheel and I saw him speed his cadence up. And with my current level of fitness, I, I almost like broke my word. I almost like drilled it to stay with him. But I like I ultimately because I knew the mud section was coming up, I just did not have faith that anything was going to go well. So yeah, I let so you guys I let him go. Tranquilo. Yeah, and it was you guys it was were... fascinating. It was like, oh my gosh, if the mud wasn't there, what would have happened? We would have just had a couch ride the whole day. Like yeah. I was like, okay, cool, wow. I'm glad that didn't happen. That wouldn't really have been. I we would have hit the hills, and you would have caught right back up. That's why I told you that when Addison Zawada set the single speed record that he was on the same gearing you are. Because I didn't want you to use that Panic. gearing as an excuse. Oh, that has been my first. That's absolutely my first go-to is to blame the gear. I wouldn't <laughs> want to blame me myself. Um, all right. For me, just getting up to that point, um, I was so disciplined about not going fast that apparently your slow was fast. <laughs> and I just let you guys go. I was like, no, oh, they're going too fast. We all said we'd go slow, so then I just went slow. Uh, and I felt really, and I th- honestly thought, I'm never going to see them again. We're four miles in, and I'm, we wanted to ride together all day long. That was definitely a goal, a big I, goal. I thought you and were And then four us. miles in, I was like, 
of course I'm not going to see them again today. You never see your friends out there. Uh, and so that was that. And, you know, and then the mud happened. And I love, man, I loved our pink jerseys because I could see you guys. As soon as we hit the mud, I could just count pink jerseys uh, just, you know, just up the road from me. And I thought, the day's not over. This could still be pretty great. Uh, and I, I was as happy as a clam. Isn't it amazing you went through that up and down in what? Yeah, 12 miles. miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, but I, I was I was also content with like if I can't go that fast, it's okay to say no and don't do it, and, and that's a smart way to race that race. So, and then the mud happened, and um, I for one, you know, we had pre-ridden it, so I knew what was there, and you can kind of see, you know, you go over this hill, and you can kind of see down in that valley, and you can kind of see in the distance, you know, the smoke and the cannon fire, and you can hear the machine guns, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> that you're coming upon a war zone. And like I knew, I just immediately ditched into the grass. And I'll say the remarkable thing about the mud was, and I think a lot of people did smart. If you didn't have any experience in it, then for sure get off and push or whatever. But if you had a little bit of experience, I think creativity was the most important ingredient in that section was, was trying not to just do what everybody else was doing. So everybody went far right into the grass that, that I could see. There were people on the left too. And there were people, of course, doing nothing and just pulling mud out of their bike. Uh, and then there was an entire lane of grass that no one was in that was about two feet wide. And I thought, why is no one there? It must be bad. And, and, but I was like, well, I kind of rode some of this yesterday. So I just put my bike in that lane and started riding. And the grass was tall and you don't really know what's under there. But you're like, well, I gotta give it a shot. And sure enough, I'm just riding along, you know, at whatever it is, 10 miles an hour. And I'm thinking... Why is no one else doing this? Why are people walking their bike to the right of me or like in the mud to the left of me? Why is no one in this grassy lane that's completely open? And that that was the theme of that section was just use your own head and make your own decisions. Because I could also see on the uphill when, when there was a mild uphill, it drained better and you could hop onto the road and ride in the middle of the road up the hill. And it was not mud. Well, there was some, but it wasn't, it wasn't real mud. And so, so then you're riding down the middle of the road and you've got these lines of people on either side of you walking their bikes and you just think, do I know something nobody else knows? And I just think the act of trying to keep your brain engaged and think creatively was kind of a, that's kind of the secret weapon. I mean, maybe. People you know, love the lines too. You can't, you can't yeah. never underestimate the, the fact that the human brain is just like line. Yeah, Go to line. yeah, wisdom of the mob. You know, like I think we are wired to just look at what everybody else is doing and accept that as the best decision. But maybe in that situation, there are exceptions. I mean, if you look at our total results, like David came out of the mud three hundredth. Wow! Which and he to, went in at the same time, which as me. was shocking. And I'm willing to bet when I look at that, that makes me think that that's probably around where we started, because. Because of our patience with yeah. the speed, when when we went into the mud and I, I went in first, I hit that two-foot strip of grass that you were talking about, and I assumed that Nick was just planted to my wheel. Because, I dropped my chain. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, update, update. <laughs> we now know that Nick's single-speed cog was bent, and that's why he dropped his chain. 12 times i'm gonna go for like 15 to 20 but we'll never know but there were so many chain drops and and the first one was at the start of the mud which actually admittedly was not the worst place to drop it because everyone stopped anyway 
and it was the smoothest remount. Just put my hand down, put it back on, and I just didn't mm. even lose time. Yeah. Well, I rode that grass for up and over the first hill, and it wasn't until I don't think I dismounted my bike until the bottom of the downhill. And I just started running because, admittedly, like my bike was getting a little. Bit, I was, oh, yeah. I was getting worried. No, I gummed up. No bike yeah. was invincible. I gummed up for sure. And I, I oh. gummed up, but I never used my paint thing. You never used your paint thing. He I, also was running the narrowest tires with the narrowest rims. He had thirty eights like, on a yeah. narrow rim. Like yeah. he, like he that. Trained. He actually had a, like that. If there was more mud, I would maybe even run like a thirty-five. Yeah, slick. I agree. I would go yeah. thirty-five slick with an insert and. Maybe like forty psi. I just wouldn't care. I'm, just right. like, well, I'm gonna bounce all over the rocks for the rest of the race, but like I will cut through everything because I just that's it. It yeah. can save you just half an hour. So you you were out of the mud, Logan, in the elites about top ten. Yeah, and we we continue to do the same through basically the rest of the mud was creativity in and out of the grass trying to keep the wheels turning. I did use my paint stick while I was riding. Same. Uh, and I had real no s- real sense of where we were or what was going on at any point until the end of the race. But I was amazed to learn that we emerged from the mud 12th overall of, of all the open starters. Um, I d- and I that just blew my mind. And, you know, I think some of that goes to just the single speed doesn't have any drivetrain issues and, you know, whatever clearance and stuff like that and some creativity. But if you had told me you're in 12th, I would have just said, shut up. (laughs) That's impossible. But it it was such that section was so dramatic. And immediately those people began passing. Uh, As soon as you could ride your bike again, uh, they all went right back by. But it was it was a pretty wild moment to just everything was quiet. There was nobody. It was it was beautiful too. Like once you left the mud and you get up on that ridge, yeah, it's like this is the most beautiful. And I also think it's interesting. So everyone talks about the mud, the mud, the mud, the mud. And so we had, let's say, in our race, maybe about three, three and a half miles of total mud, which I believe would compute to about ninety-eight percent of the course was not mud. Not mud. Uh, and I always remind people that, like, even in a mud year, you're still riding your bike all day long. And you can, on a geared bike, hit 20, 25 miles an hour. You know, you like you can be ripping along. So as much as the mud defines the postscript because it's spectacular and it's a big headline, it was still a bike ride for the rest of the day. Yeah. So. I, I was acutely aware of that. Yeah. Because <laughs> guess what? I did not finish ninth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ninth was something. One thing, one thing I noticed, the farther we got up, the farther we got to the close to the head of the amateur field, the more aggressive those people, we can mm-hmm. call them men, the okay. more aggressive those people were getting. In the beginning, you would call out if you're riding, people would step aside. Yeah. But people by the end, by the last half mile of the mud, were actively trying to get on a line and wow. they didn't really care whether. They were getting in your yeah, people did not get out of the people way. People were so nice in the pro race. Really? That's that great. Yeah, because like so nice Howard Grotz was like, can, can I come through? And just, yeah. I was like, sure. Popped over. Because I was walking, he was riding. You're like, oh, you're riding? Congrats. Like, way to go. Yeah, yeah. It was it was like a little bit of camaraderie, which I think just came from, I don't know, maybe the separate. 
to start. I don't know. It, it was interesting though it, that you say that because it was it it was quite civil. Where one guy was just like, "Come on, use those cyclocross skills." He was behind me. I'm sure yeah. he was like some kid who was good at cyclocross. Um, but no, it, it was it was kind of communal. It was like, "Oh, we're all in this. Let's see who can get out of this." Um, it was not as frantic as it as it. I expected. Um, it's interesting that in yeah. the amateur race, it, that's... It evaporated. It, you know, st- I think, Stephen, I was directly on your wheel, and I knew Brian was on mine, and some people started to just walk onto the riding line that we were all riding. That and, is... And I was like, whoa, 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 riders back, let us through, let us through. And I, like, almost got pushed into the barbed wire, yeah. and then Brian, you know, the door just shut. And the door I could, shut. I, I, swo- I swooped off, and that's where I clacked a rock. Because there was that and one line that was like, you're on a knife edge, and yep. it's like mud to the left, barbed wire Barbed wire right. beds on the right. Yeah. And it's, you're <laughs> yeah. literally like two feet away from the barbed wire, but it's so smooth to ride. So you're like, I can ride this. Yeah. But I was on slicks, and I was like, eh. It was a little scary. <laughs> no barbed wire. It. No barbed wire. I'm shouldering that dude. Barbed yeah. wire, I'm ducking off to the left into the mud, clacking the rock, having my first flat. Uh it is what it is. That's but where we lost Brian. But I still, first time. I, I still came out of that in top 40. Like, yeah. that is, it just, if you're consistent in the mud and just trying to actively move forward, like, you'll lose a lot less time. Than All you right, let's well. stop here. Because not everybody gets to, like, be thrilled about the mud section. There are so many angry people. Uh, and maybe people who, this is their first one, they didn't know what to think. And then this mud happened to them and it was traumatic. What would you tell people about going to this race and preparing for mud, no matter what the forecast says? Just like, what, what tips would you give for people if, if you're going to, no matter what your bike, what can you do to have a better mud outcome? One bike. Easy. I don't even know that it's a technology advice. Well, I think like I think it's purely patience. Well, that's funny because the the escape collective people were sort of saying that one by was a problem because there was nothing to keep your chain on if it got yeah, packed up. The with narrow mud. wide chain doesn't do well with. The yeah, mud. they were saying that it, that it would eject your chain, uh, and but then at the same time I saw people with derailers uh, ripping them off. But like the the rip off. Meredith Miller ripped her front derailleur. Yeah, off. like I just that looked like. I don't. Well, think the rivets ripped out of her frame. I but think that I think shows she, you how much torque was on the. Like, I think yeah, yeah, no. I think mud. she said that happened before the mud even. Oh, okay. Well, never that, mind. That sounds. I like remember. A warrant, I did it with warranty. I did the mud year with a front derailleur, and it was hellacious. Uh, the first mud year, 2015, with a front derailleur, in all that mud and grass are down there in your front derailleur, and it will not clear. Yeah. Uh, so I would. I would always run a one by at Unbound. Yeah, I, uh, like anecdotally, like I talked with someone at SRAM about it afterwards, and they were just telling me like we haven't really hurt any of our athletes with issues with derailers. Like there were dropped chains, but there wasn't snapped derailers off. I'm wondering. I'm wondering would, would if SRAM there was. They. I mean, but they're, they're like, I've heard of three people with Shimano who had the issues. The scuttle is that that new UDH mount is the ticket to like not ripping off a derailleur because yeah, you literally the, like, yeah. like that, like that's the, that's the marketing myth okay. that they've built such a stiff derailleur that it can't be, that it can't well, it could be, be true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no, Keegan, Keegan had a lot of mud on his bike and he had the transmission and it worked. Oh God. Do we have to call it the transmission? I mean, that's, I, <laughs> yeah. For simplicity's sake, we call it that. But like, for okay, well, here's another tip. Like that, like if you, if you feel your derailleur packing up with mud, backpedal, 
you can tell when yeah. your drivetrain has drag in it, and it's a cyclocross thing. And I raced in Oregon. We would race in mud and grass on farms, uh, and so you would just get adobe, you know, in your and you just backpedal that thing out. You could you can feel it when it's starting to have too much tension. You gotta you gotta wind it back out, and just a or if you can't feel it, just a backpedal every so often, just to preemptively clear it out a little bit, could keep your derailleur on your bike. So yeah. that's one thing you could do to keep going in the mud if you are riding it and you're nervous. And by the way, it doesn't take mud that bad to rip a derailleur off. Um, you can you can lose your derailleur. And it's really the combination of mud and grass that are particularly dangerous. So anyway, I would say that. And then what? Tire size. Yes. Don't be afraid size down. to go to smaller tires. Like, yeah. They're not that bad, really. We like you just look at photos from 2013 and 2014, and you see people running 33 millimeter tires and getting through the race. Yeah, like yeah. there's there is something to be said about having the ability to side down, and that might mean in training, riding more single track trail, getting better at line choice. I definitely think that my single track riding helped me get through with a clean run with 40 millimeter slicks without inserts, just because you have an awareness of line choice, you have an awareness of weighting your bike and even though there's no single track in kansas like single track will help with everything it will help with how you navigate different technical sections it will help with how you manage bumps it will help impacts being light when you see an impact coming um it's something i think a lot of people neglect in their training um and there was a lot of people who flatted out there a lot of times uh, yes. Especially I, if you're trying to size down, like that I, kind of understanding is key. Yeah, and sometimes flats just happen. Like I, yeah, yeah, I'm not a person that suffers a lot of flats. And boy howdy, I had pinpricks that day. Yeah, you know, I yeah. and I, I honestly, you know, this is jumping ahead, but like I took those tires off, and obviously the front was tubed, but I nearly drowned in the amount of sealant that I had in my rear tire. So mm. I, I have no answer for why it wouldn't seal up. And I just throw it up to sometimes this stuff happens. Yeah. But well, it's, yeah, it's, that's a whole other, that's a whole other layer of advice in terms of what to do with flats. But, um, so small tires practice your technical skills. Uh, those are some other things. Um, I will say that, so I posted the picture of the Pam that I sprayed my bike with, which won't, so nonstick cooking spray on your bike. I know it's stupid, but a number of people who ride motocross said every motocross rock maybe motocross racer puts that on their motorbikes and they they actually have a product for it and they hit their sidewalls with it and it does wear off you know they're like I don't, you know probably wears off in a lap well the mud was only yeah three miles long uh unless you happen to get caught in some of those other sections depending on the thunderstorms but that might be enough to get you through a very critical section of the course. So I, it, you, if well, it's even that just, bad, even just being able to ride your bike for one more minute in, right? Just hit your without... bike with cooking spray. Uh, and the other stuff's called SC one, the motor, the motocross stuff. Um, but Could... non-stick your bike. Don't hit your brakes. Uh, but really, technically, other than your brake rotors and calipers, you can hit whatever you want. I just did my bottom bracket area where the mud packs up, and then under in my fork. And that was the end of it for me. In retrospect, I would have done my sidewalls because as your tires get bigger and the mud sticking to them, they're not the sidewalls. What will the be sidewalls there? would help so much. Uh, the, the, the middle of your tire you, clears itself because yeah, you're riding on it. it. You're yeah. riding on it. Uh, so the sidewalls keeping your t- Scott. So anyway, those are a couple things you could do. Nick, what's uh, your tip? Yeah. What's your tip? I mean, I agree with Brian, uh, in terms of mentality or just, you know, 
like positive mental attitude and just kind of as you're going through it, just being aware of what's around you. And so, uh, you know, I've only done Unbound twice. I've never ridden a muddy Unbound. I did 2019, which was very hot and windy. So there was no mud, what to, you know, whatsoever. Um, but going into that section, yes, we reconned it the day before. Um, but in a race situation, I was still just trying to be like, what's happening? Always be moving forward. And so whether or not it was in the opening section, I dropped my chain. So then I just started running and just not walking, but like running. Uh, I think a lot of people just immediately deflated and started walking. But if you just had momentum and then I started to look around at the course and I noticed like, okay, people are riding the grass, but what's also good about riding the grass, the grass was still wet. What's good about the grass being wet. That's going to start to self like remove the mud. And so that's why I didn't even have to touch my paint scraper. Um, so just kind of being aware of like those things I thought was helpful. Um, I don't think there's another situation where you should look at tall grass and be like, I'm going to put my bike right through it. But I was doing that as soon as I started walking, it was like, okay, my bike's really heavy. Here's some grass, wipe it off, please. And it would wipe it off. And like right in front of me, like other people had that hint. So just puddles are similar. Puddles are similar. Water is amazing. People think, oh, I don't want to go in that puddle because there could be mud in there. Guess what? There's, there's less wet mud. dirt, but there's less there's less mud in a puddle, and it'll help just rinse your bike a little bit. So I hit every puddle I could find. Out of the mud, I was I was with a little group, and the person in front of me was had that mentality, and I was like, "All right, I guess I'm following the puddle." But it got I got so dirty yeah, after yeah. the mud because it was like puddle protocol. Puddle, it is wonderful puddle, when you get puddle. out of the mud and you get up to speed and your bike just starts flinging mud everywhere. Oh, I held like it kept it, hitting it's my head. So funny. My helmet is still dirty. It's great. Um, let's get a little more meta about this. All right. There's been a lot of blame going around. Um, like, oh, who's to blame for this? Oh, the race should have changed courses. Oh, r- pros should shut up and ride their bikes. Oh, X, Y, and Z. I'm being reductive here on purpose. But if we look at this unbound. Is there blame? Should there even be blame? Is this something that's blameworthy? What should be that big takeaway? Should it be the course, the, the, the race directors need to have a little more, uh, I guess, prudence? I don't believe this. Prudence about selecting the course? Or do people need to adjust their expectations? Or does the media and the industry need to prioritize the understanding that gravel can not just be fast aero optimized things and it can also be a, a mud fest. I mean, my opinion is that you can't actively endanger people. So if you're towing the line and and putting people in danger, like if that mud is so bad that an ambulance can't reach these people, then you're making the wrong decision as an organizer. But if you're just changing it to make someone's life a little easier from a performance perspective, like you've lost the plot when it comes to gravel because you need a little bit of adversity during the day. Otherwise you end up with last year's course and there was nothing wrong with last year's course, but it is not a memorable moment. It was very beautiful. had a little bit of rain. It was super enjoyable because of the people I rode with. I cannot remember anything epic happening. Well, it's funny is last year's course was this year's course. With but, with but, the route but, yeah. alteration that they could have done. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. the star was different. Okay. They included road D. That's the mud section. Got it, got it, Whereas got it, got last it. year, they went straight to Tower Hill. And I, I rode road D about a month before 
Um, and it was like hot and dry. And I talked to a farmer and they were like, we haven't had much rain. And it was so fast. And it was yeah. beautiful. It twisted around. You get a little bit of that range view really early on. You'd have a little bit of a different vibe than just rolling out on this big, wide, gravelly road. Great. But it just would, it rained. I, and so I kind of knew I guess, if, it, if it rained, it was going to be like To me, that. it's like, are you a gravel? Are you an absolutist or a relativist? Yeah. Uh, like, Are you Anton Scalia <laughs> <laughs> or Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Yeah. <laughs> I might be using the wrong word. I just think everyone started the same race on Saturday. It, that makes it inherently fair. Um, and And what separated the good outcomes and outcomes, let's just say there's, 20 or 30% luck in there. I don't know what the number is. But everyone had the opportunity to look at that course, understand it, look at the forecast, understand that, look at their bike, uh, and make decisions. And some people did that. Some people didn't. Some, Again, some people did everything right and still had a bad day. I totally respect that. But many people didn't. And I think the beast of what that event is, is what makes it attractive to me. And if they start making it more and more accessible and paring down the anything can happenness of that day, then then at some point you aren't doing Unbound anymore. You're doing this watered down thing that's that's really just optimized towards high finishing rate. Maybe uh, more people want to do it. Maybe you know it's. It, I'd say it'd be optimized towards money in in, in the industry. Uh, less towards maybe an authentic challenge that you really do have to overcome in order to be able to say that you made it. And I like that. I like that you have to overcome it to say that you made it. Uh, so I, I didn't see, I agree with Brian. If it wasn't safe for emergency vehicles, then of course they would need to do what they needed to do. But next year it will probably be fast again. Uh, you know, and there are more fast years than slow years. What if it's hot? What if it's 102 right. degrees? Guess right. what? That's will more every, dangerous. Will everyone complain about that? Will everyone say, why do you hold this race in the wrong month? And, you know, what, like you can't control nature. Yes, you can reroute the course, but why not just say the course will be what it is, hot or cold, muddy or dry, fast or slow, and you'd better adapt. I was thinking about heat. We had ice stockings. I had, I had a third bottle mount on. I was ready to carry five or six bottles and a pack yeah. if I needed. I for was like, second, I'm going to finish. It was like 90, to 90, 95 degrees for a second. And I was like, it's getting hot. And I just passed a woman who dropped her bottle and she's struggling. Yeah. What, what, like, so what's going to happen? And then you see the thunder. Or the wind. You're like, oh, the wind. Good. Like the wind. You could get a terrible headwind day that you're only able to go, you know, three quarters of the speed you want. And it could be a hot headwind that's murdering you. There's so many things that can go wrong out there. You can sort of control some of the aspects of mud, but I just say leave it all in. Well, what I wonder is these amateurs that the pros are taking up arms for, you know, these, like, I, I feel so bad for these affected amateurs and how they were, you know, so did poor. that get said that yeah. got said no. by multiple people by yes. multiple yeah. people it's wild but like what we're not considering is that just based off of the amount of time that it took certain people to complete this course they went through a different unbound than we did absolutely i would argue that my version of unbound was one of the easiest from a physical like what i had to endure because yeah. I went through the mud, the same mud that everybody went through. 
I went through the heat. The heat was fine. I even put myself in Rocky Ford. Y'all were there. It was yeah, great. We actually stopped our race and sat in the river. The river. It was phenomenal. Loved Cost it. us four or five minutes. We went to the aid station at Hamilton, drank plenty of water, continued on. The thunderstorm that we experienced was basically nothing more than a little bit of wind, a, a little bit of rain. Oh, I got hit by Oh, that. man. I got a lot of wind got, and a lot of I rain. Got, oh, okay. 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 But that is nothing we haven't been through before. Like, we did not. It was merely wet. Yes. It was merely wet. The lightning and the thunder scary. were loud, but they weren't like they weren't it, striking wasn't, the it ground. wasn't around us. So that, but that's all we did. I sat there, fixed a flat at the bottom of the judge for 30 minutes, like climb judge, rain was gone and rode through puddles the rest of the day. That was all well and good. But people such as, you know, Christy and David um, and Tyler Epstein, who was one of the pilots of the para, the guy, you know, Mm. they, they experienced mud multiple times, at least three times. And it's not really talked about like, if you watch Tyler's video, he experienced mud at the same time we did in mile 10. He experienced mud at mile like 125, so a little bit before Hamilton. Yeah. And then he they also experienced mud at the place where there was mud last year. Yep. Because which was a nasty spot. Oh, you know, that was I would argue that was almost as bad. Like Really? Yeah. I it, re- that was like a non-issue. Last me. year it was. This year it was bad. But Nick and I hit that section on oh, your note. I hit that section. There was it, a single track yes. trail. Yeah, there's a single track trail right Admittedly, through. Admittedly, I was a little bit behind. Yeah. I was a little bit behind. But I rode the center, and I actually felt so confident that I wasn't a, a jerk to the 100 milers I was catching. I, I caught this one woman, and she's just like, I'm not confident enough to like let you go around. And I'm like, we're in this together. Like It's all well and good. Yeah. And the moment we got to the top, I knew that I had enough min- momentum to put myself into the mud and get myself back on the single track trail so that I, I wouldn't mess it up. But other people, but that was walk- just like the first section. Yes. It was absolutely terrible. It's just because they don't have the social reach that that the pros do. It's not getting amplified by media and or Instagram. No one really talks about the fact that anybody who finished in, you know, 18, 19 hours probably went through three times as much mud. Like, Which isn't fair. And I don't. It just is what it is. I haven't heard them complaining as much and I've actively searched for it. So they, I've heard people talk about how hard it was, but. I haven't seen a ton of people who talked about DNFing. I did see I did see a couple. Well, uh, uh, but well, they, a lot of people had pretty never say die attitudes about it. They were just like it was so hard. It wasn't what I expected. I didn't even like the mud, but I made it. And I I really like that story and applaud those people. Um, and I you know I said it uh, you know with the the rodeo woman who uh, she did twenty hours. Uh, and I thought she she had just such a more awesome, respectable experience in a way. Like she, what she had to endure was easily twice what we had to endure, and it deserves more praise than the people who finish it's, quickly. It's the equivalent of like the five six hour marathoner. Right. Like they're literally experiencing this course twice as long as we are. Right. It's yeah. wild. The, the, one of the people that was the most dogmatic about the fact that this is what gravel is about is marley like all bodies on bikes mm. i i saw her in the middle of the rainstorm yeah just 
getting on with it. And it's like people have been talking about inclusivity, cost of like the barrier of, of, of the cost, the prohibitive cost that comes with it. And she, in, in not so many words, was like, that's not true. Like, guess what? This is gravel. This is what we signed up for. There's things you can do to avoid it. I am avoiding it. And I'm someone who might be susceptible to those things that people are saying are unfair. And it's like, that's not unfair. What's unfair is the other stuff that people have to deal with when it comes to things like accessibility and inclusivity. And like, I think the 350, you can have a more reasonable conversation about, okay, what is the limits to it? Because there was the scale of the mud they had to walk through was, was ginormous and you see the damage it does to multiple different people's bikes. And I agree, but I read Luke's write up. I just saw his draft and, and I had no idea it was as bad as it was. Yeah, talking was really. It just got really dark. It sounds like just mentally really dark, but people won. Bikes worked. Won and bikes worked and people finished. And there is a champion of the 350 who deserved it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's in the winter, do 22 hours. Didn't we only break 24 hours like two years ago? Like, I know that it's gotten faster every and every year, but the fact that we're talking about the most legendary XL so far and the women's winner did 26 hours and the men's winner did 22 hours, like dramatically different bikes too. Dramatically, but, but, I guarantee you their level of preparation was the same. And Logan Casper. Luke, Luke talked about, he's walking along with people and he saw a phone come out and someone make a call. So at what point, and then other people didn't make the call and kept going and finished. And nothing against people who need to make the call. Absolutely not. But, no. but unless your bike is ripped to shreds or you're injured, at some point, this is also a mental challenge. It isn't just a wattage competition. It's what can you tell yourself mentally? I need to keep enduring. I want to over. I want to see if I even can overcome this. Which is the question for me going into it. And some people answer the question yes, and some people no. But you know what? Those no's often turn into resolve. Like I'm, but I'm gonna come back and yeah. do it next time. You get deeper resolve sometimes from these. Yeah. DNFs. So I don't even see them as a, a wholly negative thing. This this is the first this is the first unbound that I have faced struggles. I mean, that's a very strong word for having flats, tiny little flats. But like uh, most years that's like the but, biggest baddest thing you have to well, overcome. But right? like this is the first year where I've like absolutely not let it enter my mind that I was going to DNF. Like hmm. the year that I raced 2021 with Lucas, like I didn't want to push that massive gear for another 120 miles. So I pulled like no race has my number more than unbound. Like mm-hmm. I have done Leadville four times. I have sub nine Leadville four times. Leadville is a race that I can do blindfolded and it is very difficult, but for whatever reason, I'm good with it. You put me on unbound and you flip a coin. Like there's no guarantee that Brian Durstein's going to fish be amazing or not good. Uh, yeah, like like I, had, in the middle. I had the easiest day I probably could have ever had. And I thought of quitting probably four times. Like right. I did not go that hard because I wasn't very fit and I knew I couldn't go that hard if I wanted to finish. It was really hot, really cold. Um, I wanted you to come back so bad. I had like this weird foot cramp because my cleat position was off because I normally ride road shoes and I had to go to mountain bike shoes. Like I was just like, there was, there was a lot of things I didn't want to deal with. And it was like looking back, I finished and I was like, oh, that wasn't that bad. It's like, like, cause I know what it could be. Yeah. And we, it's, it's interesting like that. 
we we were all together and we got caught by a very very good pro and i picked up the pace was it john borselman with it doesn't matter who it is because i saw him (laughs) later too and i was like road shoes but when when she came past us i went to get on her wheel and i turned around to look at steven and he just shakes his head and is just like no please don't like, I don't want to do this. So I immediately let go. And, but I like, and the only reason I say that is because ultimately I wanted you to come back. I wanted your race to go poorly enough for you to come back and dick around. I was, I was close. (laughs) I kept thinking about it. And then I kept having another, like someone, I would come up on some woman who had a flat and I'd fix, help fix her flat. And then like pace her up. Cause she was in like 10th. Right. So that's like a mission for me. Or I'd see someone in a ditch and I'm like, I'm going to get you out of this ditch. Or I was just be a really fun catch some catch a people. catch a group a little bit and sort of taken off. But um, there were still moments where like Nicholas Roach came up to me and I saw him and I watched him pass. And I was like, nope, not today. You know, like that's just that's just what the day was about. Um, to circle back to the 350, though, I think there's two important points. So first off, Logan Casper is a savage. He won. He's ever stood on a fat bike in the middle of winter in Massachusetts. That's one hard dude. That's one guy who deserves to win an edition like this because he's mentally incredibly strong. It was a warm spring day to him. I know. Like. It, was, it, was, it was easy. <laughs> Secondly, his bike was, used, was entirely used parts he hobbled together. This hmm. build was probably $1,800. What was his drivetrain? His drive chain was 11-speed GRX mechanical God, on a mountain bike. On a Santa Cruz mountain bike, he bought. I mean, technically, that is the most up-to-date drivetrain, so we don't need to give him as much credit as we are. But it was old. He said He said it's, <laughs> He said said that that derailleur has been around for two years. Like, this guy basically just put together a bike that was a monster truck that wouldn't break. Yeah. And there's something to be said about that because— that was a, It was the course for him. Yeah. Like, it was a course for somebody who, in their head, was really not about any of the nonsense— he was just about the 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 overcoming. Yeah. And yeah. like as much like Luke's effort was great. I think the bike was really good for him. But it was like on that day, there's only ever going to really be one winner. <laughs> Not right? Brian Durstein. I would have quit within 20 miles. <laughs> on the XL. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. No. I'll never start that race. I've said it out loud. I'm not so, doing the XL. But there's so many things to talk about. There's so many stories to say. We are getting up there in time. I've tried to have a stopwatch. Um, right. And right. Nick. I don't know. You've been quiet. What was your? Can you just give us a quick high low from from Nick Gilroy? Because it seems like out of all of us, you maybe had the most consistent day. Uh, he consistently dropped his chains. Yeah, chain I was going to say my, yeah, my low was the, probably the, the cumulative dropped amount of chains. Um, it was more just the agony and build up to unbound to try and dial in my gear, knowing I was having dropped chains, and then it just got worse during the race find it were were you going dark on texaco uh i was it wasn't like my greatest moment i was getting hungry um but it wasn't like a full implosion gotcha it was just kind of like this was big chunk i'm starting to push a heavy gear i don't want to over push in that section because the rocks got really big there um my tire paid the cost for like that's why i had to stop yeah like that killed my tire for so it was like stay measured within yourself and then i just slammed a peanut butter and jelly and then the rain was just amazing just like reset the body temperature energized me i don't know like i got i got personally really energized through all of the the hard sections like the thunderstorm i was like giddy 
Um, it was fun. Let me piggyback on that. Favorite moment of the day. Other than finishing, which doesn't count, because that's a pretty awesome moment by default. But just like favorite moment of the course. Do you have a moment where you, you just, everything sort of clicked and you were there in this moment, kind of, I don't know, out-of-body experience or just really happy or whatever? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think actually my favorite moments were, was the opening mud just because of the hilarity of it for me? Like, I was just like, this is bonkers and I'm here for it. And I just was getting energy from it. I think why do you hate people so much? I know, right? I feel bad because my experience was positive and everyone's was not. And, um, I don't know, like I, I derived energy from that moment. I derived energy from the thunderstorm. Um, you know, and, and the last time I did unbound, I think I got emotional crossing the line and that didn't happen. I was more just elated to cross the line, uh, with the two of you. Um, but I, I forget where it was. It was maybe like mile 170 or 90 where I was just like, what is happening? I'm riding my bike. Like I'm just out here and when is this going to be over? But like, not in like, I'm like in a bad place, but just like, what, like, what are we doing out here? Weren't y'all, you know, you were, you two were together at that time. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You got just asked kinda... by the farmer. Why do you do this? <laughs> <laughs> Someone did. Oh, it was a guy I was looking at it on Instagram and the farmer was like, why do you do this? And he just said, because I need to do hard things. <laughs> <laughs> there's something to that uh brian uh just kind of just like best singular moment of the day and yes you can pick two if you want well i mean they're, they're the same moment okay they're like i I do have two but they're the same thing it's catching you too <laughs> like like i had i i you know same as you going into the mud like being like i'm never gonna see them again yeah. like when i had my flat problems i was like that's it i I pulled up Athlinks and saw I had like nine minutes at mile 40. And I was like, holy crap, I am so screwed. And then I rolled up at the stop and you guys are right there. And like literally David had only started working on your bike. So I was good. And then uh, when I made that conscious decision to like fix my flat once and for all at like mile 145, the chase was like hellacious. And I put, you know, paid the cost. But like the fact that, I could see you guys climbing the, the hill underneath the highway and like I knew my task was done and it was it was over. Like yeah. I like I like we were either gonna ride as hard as we could to the finish line or we were just gonna like noodle and it was brilliant. Like because if I wanted to ride alone, I wouldn't have waited at like I wouldn't I, I would have followed that pro. Yeah, yeah. You know? Like but I wanted to ride with you all. Admittedly, I still got a ton of time. But I didn't get as much time as I would have, you know, wanted because I was paying the cost for my equipment choices. Right. So the fact that we got to ride the last, you know, six seven miles together is uh, phenomenal. Like, when does that happen? It just doesn't. Yep. Logan, eating banana bread at aid two, man. Banana bread at work, dude. Oh, <laughs> I ate some love of your it. banana. Was that your banana? No, bread? it was. It was our amazing support crew. But I gave out too much food. Between aid one and two, I thought I had like an unlimited supply. I was like, "You, you look like you're struggling." Here's a honey bun. It's bun. ninety you look like miles. You're struggling. Here's a. I thought I had a lot more. I thought I had more than I did. I think I flipped around what bag I was going to grab when because I had way too much food for the last in. Um, so I bonked pretty hard when it got wet. Yeah. When it started raining, and those last ten miles to Madison were very slow, very hungry. Freud um, would like have something to say about your highlight just being food related. Yes, for sure. Because um, I was just pounding banana bread. And I was like, oh, man, 40 miles to go. 
just had that epic rainstorm a bit, bit cold, but I have no, like, I, I had let go of goals. I'd let go of expectations. I was like, if I can get home before, um, what time, like 7 p.m. or something, like, just, like, let's just go sub 13. What the heck? Um, I've already had an hour of stop time. This is fine. Um, cause at that point it was just a training ride, um, for some goal. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the next goal is, but I was just like, eh, time to get fit again. Um, I, it just was like a very low key day where I had no stakes. There was no stakes for me. Um, it was just like, just get around, just get around and enjoy it and try to get some fitness, which is a weird thing to say about unbound because of how much money it costs and how much it means to me. But like, you just have to meet yourself where you are sometimes. And that was where I was. And I was content with it. The chill unbounds are by far the most memorable because when you thrash yourself, you have no memories. Oh you have my nothing. God. Uh, nothing. Like, There's so many years where I can't, I can't tell you what happened. I mean, that year of the, that year of the single speed, like where, like, or the other year of the single speed, no memories at all. Like nothing to reflect on. It was hard. Like <laughs> that yeah. was it. I, I, I do think, uh, Logan, to your point, rolling into aid one and just seeing how prepped dave was for support and the fact that there was like a pressure washer like i was just like i'm gonna ride my bike and it's like i've i've just cut like cleaved a, a, a chain ring through the mud around my bottom bracket and it'll just be like that all day and my mind was just blown by how prepped he was for support yeah. like that was yeah. a cool highlight and i was just I, like wow i brought headphones specifically so that i didn't have to listen Me to my drive to my drivetrain it was not about being alone it was about yes. not wanting to listen to my drive I, was... I had to listen to nick's drivetrain <laughs> it was bad it's the quietest drivetrain ever well but, no like i i legitimately thought i was gonna have to drop out because my foot was hurting so bad like wow. there was something different about the cleat position and it was throbbing from hour like three and a half in. I was like, I don't know how I like I could barely put any pressure down with my right foot. And to have a wash where I could like wash out my cleat, take an Allen key and actually change it. That was the only way I actually was able to finish that race. And it would have been so stupid if it was for my foot cramping. It's like my body's fine. My foot, my right arch is literally killing me every time I pedal. Like there's no way that works. And like to have the setup to do that was sweet. I was just like, I don't want to DNF. I broke my seat post off last year. If I DNF this year because my foot hurts, it's gonna make me so mad. It doesn't, it doesn't make for a good headline. <laughs> Logan, no, quit because foot hurts. Because I was like, there's like, how am I gonna justify this? It's a hell of a blog. Like, how am I gonna justify this? But it hurts so bad. Like, I I legitimately don't know what the situation is except trying to move this cleat. And obviously, there was so much mud in there. There's no way I was getting it out on my own on the side of the road. So. Yeah. Um, let's 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 wrap this up. No, I'm going to tell you what my Ooh. favorite moment. Oh of the my day God! Was. Sorry, Thank you for asking sorry, me, sorry. Thank this you. is what happens when you're the host. Your yes, your own you. feelings and your own experience irrelevant. You're just a you're just a vessel. I'm not the host. This is an oval round table. Okay. Yeah. Okay, host. We're into the power band. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, I was scared during the thunderstorm at about mile 150 after Tex the second time up that Texaco Hill thing. Right when you know we all split up again, uh, but as I got down into that valley, that was the most sublime riding I've done in so long because the rain was coming down so hard. It so was like hard. it was like riding through a shower, and but the the road was rock 
so it wasn't mud. And your awareness fades away. And you, and then like the the world's best air conditioner had kicked on down down from those ninety degree ish temperatures. So I'm riding along through it, and I'm thinking, this is bad. This is really bad. And then I had this moment of like, wait a minute, I'm totally fine. I'm not actually cold. Uh, I'm wet, but it's kind of cool. Uh, and this feels so epic. And my it's bike like is clean. And the lightning. Yes, my bike was clean. And I was like, it's this seems like a bad situation, but actually this entire situation is just awesome. And and I and I thought I would never do this on purpose. Where would I ever have this experience anywhere else in my life of just riding in a downpour uh but being content in it? So that was a very singular five or ten miles through that storm. It it was a little scary with the lightning and the thunder directly overhead but in on texco it hill wasn't, so you're like it was i was looking and it wasn't hitting the ground it was just the clouds were kind of flashing and i thought well what are the odds it's all of a sudden going to start hitting the ground it's going to pick me so that was my rationalizing for so anyway is that the same rational i've never had that happen at that race before pass. i've been caught in a drizzle and stuff like that but i've never been caught in a tempest that was a tempest and it made for a really good bike memory yeah so that i, I gotta say my just on the podium, Brian coming back twice made my day twice because you you are super bummed when the squad gets broken up and you don't know if he's five minutes back or fifty. So just that those comebacks and it was like we are we are still together and knowing that we all ride similar speeds, it was like we could we could hang out and I could just not be alone all day. Was, I, I'm always alone at that stupid race and just just to have homies even if we weren't talking made those middle miles pass so well so that was great finish of course that was great we all did finish together we got to link arms they chose not to drop me that nick could have dropped me with 30 to go for sure and just finished somewhere i don't know where and then uh, when brian showed up and nick was still there with me because he was waiting they immediately went 100 feet up the road because of their pace and i was like that's the end we're six miles to go and i'm i'm gonna finish alone and then they sat up and waited for me and i was like this is a good day so that was, I, I don't know if that'll ever happen again. I don't even know if I want that to happen again. Like, cause you know, you kind of want everyone to ride their best race and go as fast as they can, but that we were able to resync and finish like that was singular. So. For one, like the, the photo matters, right? Like that photo is, is really meaningful. Yes. And shout out to Jace. Yeah. Jace Stout, who, you know, of all the cameras at the finish. Yeah. One person just got it, the photo of us finishing. It, it's important. And like, sometimes you're like, oh, the finishing photo or oh, the yeah. photo is like, well, do you do it for the Instagram? Um, but there's moments where it's like, no, that photo has a lot of emotions wrapped up into it. Yeah. There's a lot of years wrapped up into it, it especially with you three being kind of the OG rodeo gang, especially you and Brian um, and Nick, I, you're, Nick. You've been around Nick for goes a long time to too. Very early. Yeah, yeah. We've all been around a long time. We've done stupid stuff together. Yeah. So it was a good <laughs> crown jewel of the stupid stuff crown. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, it's just funny. Like, I feel bad for pros that need to complain or, you know, about this race. And I understand why they do. But it's, it's just crazy how a, a race that is so hard and was so bad for so many people is just already one of my favorite bike memories. Yeah. It's the humans are funny. It's funny like that. Like, I, I'm like, ah, oh, yes, ready to go back. And I was like, right after, like an hour after, I was like, oh, that was easy. That was a good day. That was my smoothest yeah. unbound. And I was like, wait, dude, you almost quit because your foot hurt. Like, what? It's I, happening. I did not think like how I rode with Corey last year and that was so fun and had no pressure and there was no mechanicals, no nothing. And 
this year topped it, even with all the stress of like yeah. chasing people on. It was just like, cause I, I probably had a mix of everything, right? Like yeah. I got my, I got my dose of friendship. I got my dose of athletic, you know, exuberance. And, uh, and then setbacks. I got, you and then I got my setbacks. Yeah. But, uh, that's the race. Yeah. RIP to Corey though. He got within six. I looked at the GPS tracking. He got within 60 seconds of me and then flatted and screamed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a cruel, it's a cruel beast. We wouldn't, we wouldn't really care about it if it wasn't. No, so we wouldn't. It we wouldn't care. Cause it wouldn't be what it is. Yeah. Which is a, a kind of stupid thing to say, but I think it's also accurate. Like yeah. it has to be hard to be what it is. Cause that's why it matters. So right. moving on. What are we doing next? I guess individually, um, because we we now go all over the globe. I guess Stephen, you should probably start, right? Because you've got the big yeah. I got to go ascend Armenia's in a week and a half, ultra distance race in Armenia that I am not riding. I'm running. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm just I'm the race director, I guess, in the same way that I am the CEO, I guess. Uh, just you just happen to end up like I guess I'm in charge. Ugh. So, but I'm excited about the event. Uh, I'm excited the people have chosen to come. Uh, we're gonna hit peak beauty. Um, we're gonna show people uh, some those valleys are gonna be so green. They're so green. They They're are so, so green. green. They're so green. So that's where I'm going. I have nothing else on my calendar the entire year after that. I don't know what the rest of summer, fall, and winter look like. Uh, I'll make it up later. That's it. Probably gonna do Cowtown Gravel, like it's this race in Kremlin, July first. But honestly, like I can't even look that far forward because I'm so fatigued out from this race <laughs> that I put my helmet on today and didn't have a shirt on, like not a bike jersey. Like I was gonna wear a t-shirt and I had to undress myself and redress. Like I'm just out. You're still out. <laughs> I'm toast. Because <laughs> he left it all out there. And you're gonna get married, Nick. What's next for you? Oh, yeah. Congratulations to Brian. But that's beyond the Kremlin, the Cowtown Kremlin. Oh, that's true. It's way down the road. So far down the road. That's why everyone can't do SBT. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Yeah. uh, Because I can't do SBT, uh, uh, no more races uh, for the rest of the year, as far as I know. Uh, So probably do my usual uh, stupid Colorado rides. Oh, please take me with you. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm feeling good about that, actually having racing out of the way. So probably still ride bikes so that Brian can keep the form flat for the wedding suit. Uh, so we'll be Get riding. super jacked. Just, just not, not racing. So it'll be... I'm excited for the mountains. Yeah. The I'm too. The I'm really... I might go tomorrow. I want to camp under excited. the stars and see some things. And it was the same last year. I finished Unbound, and I was so just over racing and i was very excited to just ride bikes it's a really beautiful side of the sport i think for me that always goes hand in hand like my big rides in the mountains make me fast so i'm hoping to get faster again life has been way too complicated i was training like eight hours a week on average leading up to unbound which is not good for a 12 hour race um so i'm hoping to get fast again i'm hoping to adventure again um big big event for me is rebecca's private idaho i used to grow up in sun valley and We've obviously Rebecca was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and I'm going to go up there and be a part of the team covering the race. Um, cause I work for GCN now, which is exciting. I don't know if I've announced it on the pod. Um, it's part of why my pod status is fluid, but, um, I'm really keen to do that. I'm keen to be out in the mountains here in Colorado with you guys. Um, cause I'm a resident now. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a big deal. We're excited for the GCN website to launch so we can read thousands of articles. That I've written a writing. lot, and it's not going up anywhere. But it's good. We, we're trying to be intentional with the website. But there will be a lot of content. I've done a lot of a lot of reporting around Unbound. Um, oh, I can't wait to find out who wins. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that race report's going to be real. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think that's, that, is that all from us? I think that's all from us. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, just going to, just going to focus on delivering a lot of bicycles that, that we need to ship to people. And there are a lot of bikes, which is exciting. Yeah. It's true. I, I ordered mine, canceled the Conaga order. Like oh, just <laughs> <laughs> cut that, cut that, cut that. <laughs> All right, we got to get out of here. All right. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> if Thanks, you made it Steven. this far, you have completed the Unbounded podcast. Yes. Thank Thanks, you for caring. Nick. 200 minutes. 200 minutes. <laughs> Thank you, listener. Yep. You've been listening to the Rodeo Labs podcast.